So I am glad you're here today and we've been kind of working on a theme that will take us to the Super Bowl, which is on the 13th of February in, in which the Cowboys will not be playing. They're at which, um, as so many of you have graciously told me, I've, if I was a prophet, an Old Testament prophet, I would have been stoned because I predicted the Cowboys to be in the Super Bowl and that was wrong. But I'm not a prophet. I'm just a preacher and I can be wrong. And I was. But those of you who are Kansas City fans, I'm not quite sure you're going to be right either. The end of the day, the end of the day shall tell. Um, it'll be a good football day. But before we get there, this is going to be a good day as we meet together and meet with the Lord because I know that God has a message that he wants to share with you. It's been a weird sort of a week for me because last week when I gave you the message, um, I didn't get finished. I was done, but not finished or finished, but not done. Uh, first service, you know, I went through the story of Lazarus. We'll talk about it again in a second. I got to the application points and the first slide popped up on the screen. I was out of time. I felt like we were at a good stopping point. You guys never even saw that. So I want to finish those thoughts from last week. There are also some things that have happened this week in the life of the church. And I wasn't really going to share it with you this morning, but I felt... I'm very, um, I was impressed with the importance of sharing some of these things with you because um, we had some, uh, some monumental events. Now, there are many people in our congregation who have uh, come to the church recently. More than half of our congregation is, is recent, like being within the last five years. But many of you have been around for a long time. And for those who've been around for a long time or a longer time, many of you had the privilege to, to know Jeff Hall. Jeff was a deacon for many years. He served the church faithfully um, with his family, uh, with Sherry and Justin and Jared, and uh, has been around. We've loved him. We've, uh, uh, many of you have known him well. He's been a friend. He's been a co-worker in ministry. And uh, Jeff passed away about a week and a half ago after uh, about a five-year illness or battle um, with uh, what it ultimately ended up becoming a form of leukemia, and he, and, uh, he went to meet the Lord last Wednesday. And I wasn't sure that I was going to talk with you guys this morning about that because we had on Friday evening a visitation time here at the church where the funeral home estimated that they said over a thousand people came through to talk to the family, to encourage the family, to talk about what Jeff meant to them. Yesterday at our memorial, we had a packed house, standing room only people out in the cafe. His life profoundly impacted people. And the reason that I want to talk about that today as I open the message, as we begin together our time, is because he ended well. And as I've mentioned to you before, many men, many people don't end well these days. And one of the things that stands out to me about my friend is that he finished. Now, he finished too early in my estimation. would love for him to have been here another 25 years, but he finished well. And what you heard over the last few days, or what I heard and, and many of you heard, what I got to hear spending some time with the family Thursday evening, were the footsteps that this man left throughout his life that stayed behind after he was gone. A person who lived life a different way, who made an impact in a different way, and who, when he shut his eyes at his last moment, instantly awakened to the reality of heaven and saw Jesus saying, welcome home. You were good and faithful. That's where he is now. Some of you heard this story because you might've been at the memorial or you might've watched it online. But when I had the chance, Pastor Dan and I, to talk with Jeff the day before he passed away and you know, we asked him, I asked him, Jeff, are you at peace? He said, of course I'm at peace. Now that's, that's the million dollar question, right? Are you at peace? It's a question I would ask you today. 
Are you at peace? Are you at peace in your life? It's what I want. It's what you want. It's what we want. We want God's peace, the supernatural peace of God that stands guard over our hearts in Christ Jesus. And Jeff said, oh, yeah, I'm at peace. But I'm not enthusiastic. I'm not enthusiastic about dying. There's just not enough time. And so I said, well, what would you do if you had more time? Some people say they want to go to California. Some say they'd buy a new car. Some say, you know, they want to go skydiving. Jeff said, there are people I want to tell about Jesus because the most important decision they'll ever make is the decision they make about Jesus. And I wish I could tell them before it's too late. So what you may or may not know is that Jeff wrote his own message for the funeral, for his memorial. And he began working on this about two months before he passed, even though going through treatment and fighting uh, the, uh, uh, the condition that ultimately took his life. Um, and then the day before he passed away, uh, we were able to read it together. Uh, he was happy with this message. It's the one he wanted to leave with the world. I think it's very interesting. It's very, uh, to me, very poignant, very powerful, impacting to hear somebody's words um, that they're writing for a specific purpose to talk about what it means to live life a different way. The title of the message today is called Strangers in a Strange World. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. But that's how Jeff lived his life. He was here and he was fully invested, but he didn't live for this life. He lived for the life that he's enjoying right now. So I want to read this statement to you. I want to read this. This was something if you were at the memorial yesterday, you heard. And I just want to illustrate sort of in reverse order what this kind of life looks like. The kind of thing that I wish that, um, I hope that I can do when I get to the end of my life. And I know you can too. So I'm gonna read this. And I want you to remember something right now. He, our friend, I can picture him just as vividly as, as, I mean, just sitting right over here, like he always did, was here two weeks ago, among us and with us, now, right this second, enjoying the reality of heaven his best Sunday ever. All the things that you and I hope for, all the things I preach about, all the things we study, all the things we say we believe, he now knows as reality. And one day you and I, we will know the same thing. But until that day, man, do we have a responsibility and an opportunity to live for Jesus. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let me read this to you. And remember, this is a man who wrote these words to you and to me before he passed and is now enjoying the reality that he's talking about. My story has two parts. First, I want to help you process your grief for me. In short, don't. I am here in heaven. I love you and it doesn't make any sense to grieve for me because I'm happy. I'm in heaven with my dad making a joyful noise, toe tapping and seat slapping, doing my best to worship Jesus in rhythm and celebrate the home he prepared for me. In heaven, there is no sickness, no pain, no sadness, no disappointment, and no trouble. Please remember all the good times we had when we laughed and enjoyed being together. Do not grieve for me. Second, remember that none of us are guaranteed a tomorrow. Everyone will spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision you make about having a relationship with Jesus. Most of you are my friends. We had great times together. Whether in a classroom, a wrestling mat, a Boy Scout meeting, or church, we accomplished a lot together. Many of you might be gracious enough to remember me as one of the good guys. 
And I tried my best to invest in my community, my school, my church, and especially my family. But we don't get to heaven by being good guys. We get to heaven by making a choice. I made a choice. I put my trust in my Savior, Jesus Christ. I confessed my sin, believed who Jesus is, and asked him to be my Lord, my boss, as well as my Savior. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and paid the price so I could spend my eternity here in heaven. Don't waste a minute of your life. Each second is a gift. Think about your soul. Are you a follower of Jesus? Think about the legacy that you are leaving in this world. Are you making a difference by investing in things that will matter after you're gone? Please don't get caught in the trap of thinking that you're not good enough to be a Christian. Being good has nothing to do with it. Thank God. Faith in Jesus Christ is the most important and significant thing you can have. And then Jeff goes on to say that we have a wonderful pastoral staff at Capital City Church and basically issuing an invitation for people to grab a pastor and talk about eternity. Um, he finished well. And he's at home in heaven. So what do we do in the meantime, right? We talked last week about Lazarus and the book of John and John chapter 11. There was a whole chapter that was dedicated to this story. We talked about how Jesus you know, raised Lazarus from the dead. And he showed that he had power over death and victory over death. But there really were three things that stood out. And I want to remind you because these, these three things take us into these this important message or passage we're going to cover today. There were three different groups of people. The first were the disciples who were with Jesus. And if you remember from last week, they said, Jesus, we've got to be careful. We've got to be super careful because these people, they're in Bethany, want to kill you and they want to kill us and we want to avoid death. We want to move. We don't want to think about it. We want to distract ourselves. We just need to go the other direction. And there are many people who live life that way. They want to avoid it. They don't want to think about it. They just want to move the other direction. They don't ever want it to enter their minds. And Jesus met them right where they were in their fear and their avoidance. And he said, just, just come with me. Come on. It's going to be all right. Your job is not to worry about when your days are over. Your job is to worry about what you do between now and then. Stick with me. And when he got to Bethany, he had one of Lazarus's, the man who died, sister, remember, run out. Martha and she scolded Jesus. She was angry and she was like, Jesus, if you would just come, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus met her in her anger. And he said, I get it. I love you. I understand. And then there was a sister who was sitting back, sulking at the house, who was depressed and who went into the tank, maybe sitting there with a bottle of wine, just mad and not wanting to come out, right? And, just, and Martha came back and goes, Mary, Jesus is asking for you. Would you come out and see him? And Jesus met her in her despair and her depression and her withdrawal. And I think those three responses pretty much cover many of our responses. And Jesus said to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will never die, but will live. But after this life is over, the real life begins. You don't have to fear death. And because of that, you can truly be present and live life, which is what Jesus wants from us to truly be present and to live life. And so the question would be, what is this life that we're supposed to live and how do we live it? 
I was reading this morning when I woke up the story of Jesus calling Peter and Andrew in Matthew chapter four. And literally the Bible says that Jesus was just walking along and Peter and Andrew were fishing. Now, if you read this story, I picked something up the other, uh, this morning that I haven't ever noticed before. And that is that they were fishing with their dad. And so I have this visual here of two boys, right? Fishing with their dad. I have two boys. Jeff had two boys, has two boys. Uh, fishing with their dad. Pastor Dan has two boys. How many of you have two boys? I can just picture that. Me, I'm not a good fisherman, hanging out with my boys, right? Jesus comes walking along and he looks at them and he says, hey. They're like, what's up, right? They don't know who Jesus is. And um, Jesus says, follow me. I'm sure they looked at each other, looked at their dad, right? What do we do? And Jesus says, if you follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, this was a pretty quick encounter. It didn't say that Jesus went over and hung out and set up a ministry tent and preached and preached and they went and heard Jesus' words over and over. They might have been familiar with the message. But there was an invitation, a proposition, and then a decision that had to happen. And this decision was such a diverging trail. I stay here and do what I know. I live my life according to my definition of success. I get to the end and I can say, maybe I won. Or I can step out into the unknown, which seems unsafe and maybe even unwise and follow this man who says that there's something else. And it seems risky and it seems a little bit uncomfortable, but yet there's something pulling me that way. Maybe their dad said, go. Maybe their dad said, stay. But they took off and followed Jesus. And they lived a life learning they didn't have to fear death. And to be fully present in this life brought meaning and purpose that you and I are looking for. What is the meaning of life? Man, how many great philosophers have discussed that? What is the meaning of life? What is our worldview? I've asked you over and over again. Is your worldview becoming, one, filled with grace, more like Jesus? Are we becoming a little bit softer in our hearts and not harder? Am I becoming less judgmental or more judgmental? Am I more quick to forgive or do I hang on to bitterness in my life? Am I becoming more like Jesus? And these disciples went on a journey and Jesus says, you no longer belong here. When you follow me, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And we march to the beat of a different drum. We play by a set, well, a different set of rules. Now, we're going to talk about that today. And I'm going to take you back to the book of Philippians. And I want to talk to you about being a stranger in a strange world. Because you're never really going to get this Christianity thing unless some, you know, somebody tells you the truth. And I want to make sure that I tell you the truth about what it means to be a believer so that you can embrace this and understand. But so many have only been told part of the truth because they think it's an easier sell. And it leaves so many questions in so many minds. And the Apostle Paul spells it out very quickly in Philippians. And he just says, listen, you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now this may seem confusing to you, a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does it mean for me to be a citizen? That sounds really, really weird. What Paul is saying is, is that you're a stranger in this world, that you live in this world, but you're not of this world. Have you ever lived in a place that you just didn't feel like was really home? I don't know, maybe you've moved around a little bit. I did. I lived in a place that didn't really feel like home. It was called California. 
Um, I lived there for uh, quite a few years. We lived in San Francisco, just north of San Francisco. And I didn't fit. I, I didn't feel like I fit. I didn't feel like I fit in the South at all because I felt like I was a little too out there for a lot of the South where I had ministered previously. But then when I moved to California, oh my goodness, I didn't feel like I fit. I wasn't out there nearly enough to be able to fit in California. And I knew that even though we were gonna live there for a while and plant a church, and I was gonna fully engage, and I was gonna make friends with people to nudge them to Jesus, it wasn't my home. It would never be my home. And at some point I was gonna be moving, leaving. And the only thing that'll matter is the impact that we have while we're there. So Paul's painting this picture. It's this powerful temporary picture of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. Now, the church in Philippi, kind of a different situation than our church in some ways. The church in Philippi, Philippi uh, was a, a Roman province that had sort of been granted uh, citizenship rights. It wasn't right next to Rome, it was close enough. And Rome was like the Mecca, the be all, the end all, the Jerusalem of the Roman world. I mean, Rome were the center of the world and everybody wanted to be a Roman citizen. When you were a Roman citizen, if you were in a Roman territory, you could vote, you could sue people, um, you could own property. I mean, if you weren't a Roman citizen, it was a big deal. And Roman citizenship was something that this church, that these people in this church would have understood because they were living with this as their currency. They would have had to worship the, the emperor, the Roman emperor, or at least pay homage to the emperor. They also would have worshiped all kinds of crazy deities and gods and things that happened in Philippi. And we don't need to talk a lot about that. We have in the past, but there were people who would have understood or gotten the concept of citizenship. And citizenship was, was given in a few ways. The first way that citizenship was given, citizenship into the Roman kingdom, was you were born into it. A father could pass it on to a son or to a daughter. A mother could pass it on too, but it was kind of a weird society. And this is one of the things that Jesus came to turn or overturn and the apostle Paul preached about dignity of human life and valuing people. But sometimes women, they weren't really given citizenship. They were given like the rights to be able to birth a citizen. So they kind of had citizenship, it was kind of messed up. But you could get it passed on from one generation to the next. The apostle Paul, as he's contrasting the citizenship, reminds us that we can't become citizens of the kingdom of God because our parents were, or just because our parents were, that we can't be born into it, that it's not being born into a Christian family and just being around it our whole lives. And yeah, I'm a Christian, but that it's different than even the citizenship that the Romans may have enjoyed. Well, if you remember a story in or about this church in Philippi or the city of Philippi, where the apostle Paul was imprisoned, he was arrested. He was thrown into the middle of the jail and he was singing praises and there was an earthquake and the chains came off the doors and the jailer was there. And if you remember the story, the jailer talked about purchasing his citizenship. Roman citizenship. You could buy your way in. Some people are under the misunderstanding or misconception that, you know, that we can sort of do that with our Christianity, with our, with our citizenship in the kingdom of God. Well, 
Paul was a Roman citizen, but also a Jew. And historians think that because his dad was a tent maker and he had proved his value to the Roman government or to the places where he was for so long in business and commerce, that he was afforded citizenship that could be passed down from one to the other. And some believe that that's the way we become citizens of the kingdom of God is we just stick around and, and rise to the top and prove our worth. And Paul says, that's not the way it works. The way it works is you give your life to someone and agree to live an entirely different way. And see, some of us, we were lied to about what it means to become a part of the kingdom of God. We were told that all it meant was just to, to agree with some facts and say a prayer, and that's it. It's almost like if you, I dated myself in the first service badly. Um, you, I'm 52, you guys know that. Monty Python, that was part of my youth. Um, some of you, uh, the kids are like, who, what? Um, the, 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 uh, there was a movie, a Monty Python movie, where you had to pat across a bridge and, and you were stopped on the bridge and you had to, to answer the magic question. And if you answered the magic question correctly, you got to proceed, if not thrown into the abyss. In some ways, that's how we were taught about Christianity. We were taught that you have to know the magic phrase. Because when we die, we're gonna go to the pearly gates and St. Peter's gonna be there and he's gonna ask you the magic question. He's gonna say, why should I let you into heaven? And then we gotta give him the right answer. And if we give him the right answer, we get to go. And if we don't, then we fall into the abyss. So we feel like all we have to do is just know the facts, put it in our pocket and go, well, I got the answer to the riddle so I can live however I want to. And Jesus never talks about that. The apostle Paul never talks about that. It's about living a different way. And when Jesus says, do you believe in me? This is what it means, friends. It literally means, when we say, I believe in Jesus, it means I believe everything that Jesus says. All of it. And I'm gonna do my best to live that way. Now, can we? <laughs> we fail, we fall. We need help, we need forgiveness. The Holy Spirit gives us strength and ability and power to live, but it's a different perspective. I'm a stranger, I no longer live as a citizen of this world. I march to the beat of the Holy Spirit's drum and one day I'm going home. I don't really have a home. I mean, I have a house in Prairie Trail just up the street. I like it fine. Um, Joy usually lives there, she's in Arkansas. Her grandmother passed away and she was at a funeral yesterday for her grandmother, so she's not here, um, which I don't like at all. Joy is where we consider home. Joy's multiple generations from the city and the town that her parents live in now, her grandparents lived in, her great-grandparents, and so on and so forth. My boys both live there and my daughter-in-law, and most importantly, my granddaughter lives there. And one day we'll live there. Um, it's the place where we will inherit a little bit of property and we'll probably build or, or buy a home. And that's where we're gonna end up unless something drastically changes. Now, I have no intentions of going there for at least the next 15 years. I mean, I'll visit, but I don't wanna live there. But one day I'm going home. It's just inevitable. So my question is not where I'm going. My question is, what am I going to do between now and then? And that's the question that Jesus asks and the question the Apostle Paul answers. And he says, live a different way. March to the beat of a different drum. View yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Stop worrying about winning in this world. 
and realize that we live a life for the world to come? Are you living according to your purpose? I should rephrase that. Are you living according to God's purpose for your life? What is God's purpose for your life? The way you find that is by studying the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, studying the teachings of the Apostle Paul who does what? Points to Jesus and hopes we look. And then people like me who point to the Bible and say, that's where truth is. All I can do is point and hope you look. And when you look and embrace the teachings, the principles of Jesus, your life, friends, will change. I don't ask you the same questions because I don't have any other questions to ask. I ask you the same questions because these are the questions that let us know if we're living this way, if we're making progress. So there's two more letters. The acronym that I chose was WIN. It's just because it worked out that way. The I and the WIN is, um, it's not about me. Now, that's one of the things that we have to embrace when we become citizens of the kingdom of God. Life is not about me. I don't have to win all the time. I don't have to be comfortable all the time. I don't have to be well-liked all the time. I don't have to be, it's not about me. And we're born into a worldview that convinces us that everything in this life has to be about me. So we take a 180 degree turn and say no longer about me, but it's about we and it's about him. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Now the N, the N's important. N is now is the time. Now, there are five different parts, components to this passage that are really important. This verse, still in Philippians, the Apostle Paul giving us instructions on how to live together, how to understand and how to make a break from citizenship of the old way to citizenship of this new life. And he says, therefore, my dear friends, because of Jesus and my love for you, as you've always obeyed, not only when I'm here, but even when I'm gone, continue don't give up to practice your Christianity with respect for God and an understanding of the consequences of sin. For it's God who works in you and will act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now what this means, real simple, this means that we sell out to God and we live 100% like it all depends on us. But we realize that God has sold out to us and does 100% allowing us to become this kind of person we could never become on our own. But we have to be willing to give up the old way of life. So I want to ask you a question. And it may apply to you and it may not. What are the lies that you tell yourself that are keeping you from giving up the old way of life? What are the lies that you're telling yourself that are keeping you trapped with 
preoccupations of the old world. You see, it's not about waiting around one day and hoping we get into heaven. So many people seem to believe. But it's about beginning now and letting heaven get into me. Eternity starts now. But yet some of us believe lies. Some of us have things in our life that just keep us from stepping out. And this is my sense. Maybe it's right, maybe it's not. I pray a ton for you. And I love you. And I trust that God's given me a good instinct about what's going on with you. But I think that in our church as a whole, maybe even our society as a whole, or at least our Christian society, I think we are on the verge of really stepping out in faith and leaving the old stuff behind. And I think there's some things that are holding us back, individual and different, perhaps for each of you. But I would suggest to you today that maybe it's time to let those things go. And to really see if Jesus knew what he was talking about. As he walks by you, just like he did Peter and Andrew, as they sat in the boat with their dad. And he didn't say, I want you to believe these things and keep on fishing. He said, take me by the hand and let me teach you to live a different way. And I'm telling you, once we step out and live this way, God's going to do something in our community that's going to blow us Father, thank you for my friends.